0: Everybody, welcome to the Move It, Shake It, Celebrate It Street Party.
1: Once a year, we throw a party here in town.
2: Oh yeah, music for my ears.
1: <laughs> Just wait till you see it in a bright new way, one light at a time.
2: I wonder if the band is ready now. W. Your
0: Information Station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 426. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcast, direct on Facebook, events, books, audio tours, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Google Play and find everything else at www.radio.com. So this week, I invite you to join me as we travel back in time to talk about the Disney decade, the brainchild of Michael Eisner, which transformed not just Walt Disney World, but led to unprecedented expansion across the Disney company. We'll look at Eisner's original plans, what was supposed to be built, what was and what wasn't, and why. And beyond the theme parks, we're also going to look at what the Disney decade meant to the company, the impact it had, and still has, on Disney fans and on Michael Eisner's legacy. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for more information about upcoming WDW Radio events, meets of the month, holiday special events and lots more and some of your voicemails so sit back relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show
2: Dateline Walt Disney World Resort hotels, two new additions to Epcot Center's World Showcase, and the doubling in size of the Disney MGM Studios theme park are just some of the projects that will become reality in the near future at Walt Disney World. In past Walt Disney World Wayback
0: Machines, here on the show, we've gone back and looked at specific years throughout the history of Walt Disney World, sort of going back in time to see what it was like in that year and what was coming and what had just opened and the changes that had come to the parks. But this week, we want to go and examine a period of time which I think dramatically shifted the focus the direction, and the growth, not just of Walt Disney World, but I think the Disney company itself. heralded as the Disney decade. It was the initiative of Michael Eisner, who was the CEO at the time, and really sort of shaped the Florida project and completely changed its direction, and I think a residual of which we are still seeing today. So this week, we're going to look at this Disney decade, what it was, what it was supposed to be, why it happened, and what were... And maybe still are the results of it. And joining me is a man who didn't just read about the Disney decade, but he lived it, as he always does on his blog over at the Main Street Gazette. He is Ryan Wilson-Matua of MainStreetGazette.com fame. Welcome, buddy.
1: It's good to be here.
0: So, So, you know, it's funny. I said, wait. Who who lived the Disney decade? You were probably born during the Disney decade, weren't? you? Yeah, no,
1: oh, nice. not even close. Not
0: <laughs> even close.
1: I appreciate that. I'll take it, but no.
0: So I mean, obviously, that you know, the Disney decade, the time period we're we're talking about, um, obviously, was the, the 1990s. And I think when when you know, for me, when I hear the Disney decade, the first thing that comes to mind to me, obviously, is Michael Eisner, because I Absolutely. think I think look, I think he is remembered by many people for how and why he left rather than what he did and the positive changes that he made while he was here. It's easy to remember the bad stuff and sometimes easy to forget all of the positive things that you've done. And look, the Disney decade was, I mean, it really was his baby and I think in many ways helped. We know sort of the, the changes and improvements to Walt Disney World. I think this Disney decade may have actually saved the company.
1: I think you're right. I think it gave them something to focus on. It gave them th- goals, whether or not they were going to be achievable, and we'll talk about that. But he, it, it is. I think you're right. It's easier to look at the what was bad, how things ended, than to go back and look at the good and the positive and and see what he really came into and how he really revitalized the company.
0: Yeah, and I and I really would like to. And look, you know, Michael Eisner is still my dream interview. You know, he's the one guy I would love to have on the show, not to talk about. The reasons why he left and how it all ended, but the incredible things, some of which we're going to touch on today, that he did while he was here. And just to give a a, a brief background for you know, I think a lot of people know the name, but maybe don't know um, the The genesis of of how he sort of came to the company. I mean, he had extensive experience at NBC and CBS, and then was (laughs) senior vice president of programming and development at ABC. Then he was brought over as the president and CEO of, of Paramount. And look, while he was there, like you can't discount the stuff that happened while he was there. Things like, you know, uh, the first one I go to is Greece, right? But like you know, Greece, the Star Trek movies, Saturday Night Fever, a little film called Raiders of the Lost Ark, Beverly Hills Cop. Um, I, I was a child of that time frame, so shows like Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and, and Family Ties were all sort of brought about during Eisner's time at Paramount. I mean, he again, he did some incredible things even before he got to Disney as well.
1: Yeah, he definitely had a name recognition outside of Disney. Whereas I think a lot of stuff you had seen before, were people who had come up through the system were were associated to the Disney name, and now there's this this new guy coming in. But he had a, a massive amount of of pedigree coming in. He had you know all these different projects, like you said, Raiders is the one I always go to. Prior to that, so it wasn't like this was somebody just you know. Falling off the turnip truck card and <laughs> in jumping into the company.
0: Are there still turnip carts? Are there still turnip trucks actually drive I'm sure
1: there's the a turnip cart somewhere, <laughs> in world, some, somewhere in the corner.
0: All right, so let's fast forward to 1984, right? So during the 80s, I mean, there's still a lot of good things that are, that are going on. Uh, at the company there's there's some great stuff that's happening in terms of movies there is some expansion happening at the parks you know the, the studios come and grand Floridian, and the first sort of flagship luxury resort they, they introduced the moderate resort hotels with caribbean beach um, you know downtown disney pleasure island typhoon so there's a lot of stuff sort of, of happening uh, epcot obviously it opened in, in 1982 but by 1984 Some things are starting to stagnate a little bit. And the the Disney company absolutely needed an infusion of fresh blood to replace Ron Miller. Um, I think the the company at that point was sort of dodging bullets in terms of potential hostile takeovers. And in, in 2015, you cannot imagine that the Disney company would be subject to that. But that's sort of where the company was. I mean, the company was sort of floundering a little bit. In terms of what its its future was going to bring, and they needed to bring in somebody who was going to be strong. And like we said, you know, Michael Eisner was that guy based on his history in Hollywood.
1: Absolutely, and you, you look at you know, animate the films weren't doing as well as they wanted to. The parks, while they were new and great, and everyone was flocking to them, that question of well, what's next? There wasn't an answer at that moment. You, we had the studios coming, but really the direction of all of the parks, you know, here in Disneyland, it it was a question of stagnation. It was a question of, okay, well, where are we going to, you know, charge into this new territory?
0: And, you know, I think right off the bat, even before we start getting to his impact on the theme parks, he brought that, you know, Hollywood um, aspect to the company because when you think about what was happening at the studios at the time, you know, they needed something like A Little Mermaid. They needed a Roger Rabbit. They needed to bring in somebody like a Katzenberg and bringing in Miramax films to not just tap into the family market, but tap into a little bit more of the adult market. And, you know, I talk about how Michael, uh, sorry, uh, Bob Iger's legacy is going to be acquisitions. You know, Eisner did the same thing. You know, ABC, ESPN, Miramax films, all these things happened even before we get to this Disney decade. Yes,
1: and it was things that they looked at. I mean we ended up with ABC, but we had looked but he looked at CBS first and there, there were these things of okay if we're going to grow, we're going to have to have all the right pieces to make that growth possible.
0: And he was smart enough to realize too, hey we've got to branch out beyond the theme parks and the movies which have been the Disney bread and butter. We need to go into television. we need to make a deal with you know Showtime to and, and get Disney To start re-releasing these films, you know, open up the vault and start releasing these things on this uh, on videotape.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, and then do the things for the adult market with Touchstone and Miramax and all those companies and get get this vibe of all the kids who had grown up with Disney. And now we're going to recapture them with our storytelling at an adult age.
0: So I think he's got some momentum, right? By 1989, I mean, the Eisner machine is starting to go, and this is when he sort of brings out this this new initiative called the Disney Decade, which was going to run for everything from not just increasing the size and hopefully the profits of the domestic theme parks, but new parks around the world and new films and really sort of broadening the, the media expansion as a whole of the Disney company. And look, it was a very broad, I mean, it was a very, um, you know, blue sky, lot of dreams, you know, uh, type right. of plan He of what he hoped to ac- accomplish in just 10 years, which relatively speaking is not a long time.
1: No. And it was, and it really was for people who were, who were there at the time. It, what, what, whatever your dream was, could you make it happen? There was the answer at that point was, yes, like, let's go ahead and let's do this. Let's, Get on Broadway. Let's bring musicals back to our to our animated features. Let's do all these pieces that, and like you said, we talked about the scope. It wasn't just here in this country. It was worldwide. We were going to go going into Paris. We were going to be expanding Tokyo. And it was just anything and everything you wanted. Go for it.
0: And it, I mean, look, and we'll you know talk about this, especially about maybe why some of the things didn't happen. You know, we, we talk about Eisner and I sort of analogize, this is not a comparison. It's a a sort of a parallel type of analogy. When they brought him in in 1984, they also brought in Frank Wells as president of the company. He was the the Mm -hmm. former chief of Warner Brothers... And what I mean when I say that I'm making a a parallel is it very much was like the Walt and Roy relationship. Eisner was the front man. And look, Eisner, you you hear stories about his ego. He wanted to sort of be the next Walt Disney. He was the guy on TV. He was the guy on films at the studios where Wells... Was the guy in the background. He was sort of the doer while, while uh, Eisner was the dreamer. They worked well as a team. And when things happened later on, you know, when we lost Frank Wells, I think that's why part of the reason why some of the things fell apart. But the two of them together, um, you know, made a, a very sort of formidable pair in terms of executing on these visions.
1: And there are times where you see the nods to, to both of them inside the parks and inside the resorts. It really is – it's always the two of them together because it was something that together they created this next, this next wave of Disney magic, this next wave of movies and parks and all these different things. But it, it, I think you're right in, th- in that if we hadn't had Frank – Michael might not have been as successful in those early years as we as he was.
0: Well, we and we know that because of, of yeah. what eventually happened, and we'll talk about right. at, that at the end. But you know, when we talk about the the quote unquote Disney decade, this is not something that you know history looks back on and and titles that era like the same time we talk about the Renaissance, you know, the second golden age or the second Renaissance of Disney animation. Calling it the Disney decade was part of. His actual plan, and it was written about and talked about all the time. And if you looked at um, a annual report back in 1990, he talked about it. It was actually called "Building a Dream Together," and it really was based on this idea of you know dreaming it and doing it. And he said, and I'm I'm quoting you know por- portions of the paragraph. He says, "Look." We, being him, Hay and Wells, we're doing a lot of dreaming lately, and we've given the dream a name, and it's called the Disney Decade, and it's about a dream, and it's about us as a company with in, exciting plans, and we're going to touch every aspect of the company from new hotels, attractions, a new theme park at Walt Disney World, obviously being the, the fourth gate Animal Kingdom, uh, right. the biggest expansion of Disneyland in its history, and he says, look, some people are saying that that they think we're being overly ambitious, and we don't think so. We're confident that we can achieve this the, these goals that we have laid out over the next ten years people in the world expect Disney to dream and to dream big and if it's the Disney dream in its size and scope it has to take your breath away it's got to seem like something that is almost impossible but he's like just wait you know ten years from now we'll be talking about you know Mickey's millennium and we'll be talking about these things that we've done and they had you know press conferences down here uh, there was a, a great article um, I' had gone back and looked into some old Uh, Articles from the Orlando Sentinel Mm -hmm. where they talked about and specifically laid out, you know, 29 different attractions and what was going to happen in each of the parks here. So, you know, it was a very exciting time, right, in in the Mm -hmm. late 80s, early 90s when they announced this Disney decade that some, um, you know, um, Wall Street estimates had come in would probably cost the company about a billion dollars.
1: It's kind of like that—that that home run hitter stepping up to the plate. He's calling his shot. He's like, "It's going over <laughs> that fence." And he goes, "You just watch." And even looking back, th- they may not have gotten everything they wanted, but you could pretty much call what they did get a home run. And so, and so he, but he knew it then, and he was just saying, "You're right. It has to take our breath away. It has to be something that's going to just make people stop what they're doing and take notice." And and he was dead on with with his aim.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna talk about. You know, some of the things that they were able to accomplish and some of the things that they weren't. um, One of the things I had noticed in the Orlando Sentinel article I thought was really interesting that I don't think it's talked about a lot was there were plans to build a shopping mall in Osceola County that they said, look, we're going to reveal the actual plans within 60 days, which uh, plans I could could never actually find. But they said Disney's going to have major retailers like Harrods, Nordstrom's, Macy's. All about sort of anchoring this Disney owned shopping mall, um, you know that Dick Nunes had talked about at some point in the early part of the 90s, which never came to be, and who knows, maybe sort of morphed into what is now becoming Disney Springs.
1: I, I think it's one of those ideas, you know a, a good idea never never totally goes away. I think that we are now seeing pieces of that come in.
0: So I, I want to talk specifically about things that came to the Walt Disney World theme parks. But I think I would rather start with sort of a a, a wide, you know, a 30,000-foot view down on Mm -hmm. all the things that impacted the company because I think all these things are either closely tied to or very um, directly related to – Walt Disney World, and I tell people all the time, man, like the first thing that I think about when I think about the Disney decade, believe it or not, is n- not the food or <laughs> the theme parks, but think about all the resorts. You know, when I when I step into right. places like Epcot or the studios and I start pointing out or talking about different resorts, I'm like, really? Are you enjoying your stay at, you know, Wilderness Lodge? Are you enjoying your stay at, you know, such and such, or, or the All-Star Resorts? That is all directly because of Michael. I, I mean, there were there was massive growth in terms of getting people to stay on property.
1: absolutely. and if you look at there was even a dateline, you know the old videos that ran on Resort TV, the Dateline Walt Disney World, and they had the first minute and a half of this two and a half minute video with all the resorts that were going to be coming inside the next couple of years, and there were I think ten of them just in that video alone. And that was just the beginning of what ended up coming in the Disney decade. But it was, was, you know, how do we get these people to, how do we get these guests to come stay on property and stay here and keep them here and spend their money here rather than going to all of our competitors down the street?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, even the the whole concept of these these deluxe and moderate really was sort of based on this Disney decade because all of the the, uh, uh, deluxe resorts for the most part Started during that time, right? Yacht Club, Beach Club, opened in 1990. Boardwalk, Animal Kingdom Lodge. You know, Grand Floridian obviously mm-hmm. opened in '88, but it was still pretty close. Wilderness Lodge. And in terms of moderates, you've got Coronado. You know, French Quarter, Riverside. You know, the All Star Resorts. Um, in terms of the the number of guest rooms that are added, I mean, it's in the you know five digits. You know, it's more than ten thousand right. guest rooms. Uh, that came to property, and and I think made it accessible and affordable for more guests to be able to stay.
1: And that's not even until you start going looking at old Qs and then DVC that hadn't even existed until the Disney decade. And all yeah, you're right. All these rooms come into property, and all these guests that can now come and experience
0: this. And and you led me right to where it, it logically we should go next. It is the Disney Vacation Club right mm-hmm. where they talked? in In the launch of this idea of the Disney decade,, so look, we're going to have an opportunity for you to own, I'm using air quotes a, a piece of the magic, right? which is which is a very different concept in terms of. Family vacation planning, because now you can stay and have sort of a a vested interest, an ownership interest in this Lake Buena Vista golf course. And they were going to start selling, I think, in, in July or whatever of 1991 or so. But what they were doing was changing the idea of timeshares. You were now able to not lock in weeks but use a somewhat complex but flexible (laughs) system that's why i never did dvc i just couldn't i can't even balance my checkbook let alone keep track of points but you you know buy these blocks of points and you have flexibility about you know when you can and now where you can stay
1: yep yeah and it, it, it would and it would you you're there on property you have this thing that that's going to be there for the next 20 some odd years for your for your kids and possibly your grandkids and you know, you're looking forward to, to all those vacations, and you're right. It's this point system, so it's they're not locking you into a specific time of year, and or or as it were, to the re, you know specific resort. This would expand later on. We would end up with South Carolina would get Hilton, Disney's Hilton Head Island. You'd end up with Disney's Vero Beach, and all these different places that you could go and take your family to to tie into this Disney name and this Disney magic.
0: And you know, at the time, it was a somewhat radical idea. But I think it may take off because, I mean, look, in 2015, <laughs> the number of Disney Vacation Club properties you have on property and, like you said, around the world, and it doesn't show any signs of slow- slowing down. I mean, look at what they just added to the Grand Floridian. Look what they added right. to the Polynesian. Look what's coming to places like Wilderness Lodge. I mean, the, the the idea of Disney Vacation Club ownership, right, that idea of owning a piece of the magic is definitely something that resonates and works for a lot of guests financially.
1: And I think it's one of those things that everyone internally feels like they own a piece of that of the Disney name and the Disney magic out there. And so now this is a way for them to tangibly kind of do that while building these these more more properties around the world for for them to go to for you know years and years in the future.
0: And when I think about the Disney decade and things that were coming here, it actually makes me think of what Walt Disney World's original tagline was, right? It was supposed to be the vacation kingdom of the world. And I think in 1971, when you came and you stayed at the Contemporary or the Polynesian and then eventually had places to go like the Lake Buena Vista shopping village, Mm -hmm. it was. You came and you vacationed here. But as everything else outside the berm, sort of, or outside the bubble, started to get built, whether it was Church Street Station or budget hotels or other attractions, all of a sudden... People were going off property. So what does Eisner do? He says, no, no, we're going to build a wide variety of A-themed hotels, keeping people immersed in the magic, giving them different price points, whether it's value, moderate, deluxe, or ownership in in the property itself. But we also need to build things to attract and keep them here. So what do they do? They build Blizzard Beach. They build two miniature golf courses, Fantasia Gardens, Winter Summerland. The downtown Disney area now becomes an entertainment destination. With, you've got Disney Quest, you've got Cirque du Soleil, they build Wide World of Sports, right? They, they leverage mm-hmm. the, the, the power of the ESPN brand in terms of not only really giving people maybe less of an entertainment destination, but now all of a sudden you're attracting the cheer groups and the Pop Warner and the lacrosse teams and the runners and all this other thing. These all came from Michael Eisner and team yeah
1: for <laughs> and team it, 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 right it was it was like okay so what are people looking for they're looking for shopping they're looking for they're looking to go swimming you know, what and the pools aren't cutting it anymore so we now let's now let's up our game in the water parks business let's let's give them you know world class entertainment whether it's cirque du soleil whether it's disney quest with the latest and greatest in technology they're just what what is it going to take to keep people here and we're going to find it and we're going to Put a Disney sticker on it and and we're going to have it here waiting for them when they get here.
0: And remember, too, just like the opening of Walt Disney World itself. And again, I'm not again, I don't I'm not trying to compare him to Walt, but his ideas for what he wanted to do during this short time frame were very sort of radical at the time, and they were very sort of forward-thinking because he wasn't just building all of these hotels and then we're going to figure out how to fill them. And, and I mean, spending maybe nearly a billion dollars in expansion, but he also does something unique. Right? And I when I say unique, I don't mean things like Wide World of Sports, but love it or not, and, and we'll do a separate show on this because I was never there and I, and I regret not going, the Disney Institute, it's, yeah, right, which currently sta- which. which is where Saratoga Springs currently stands, was something that as long as you're here on vacation, we want to help give you more than just entertainment. We want to give you value. We want to give you ed- education. And there were hands-on educational and enrichment programs. Dude, I remember desperately wanting to do the TV production where they put you in front of and behind the camera and showed you how that worked. And there was movie making and animation and guest services. I mean, it it spanned a wide spectrum. And and maybe it didn't work because it wasn't executed properly or people didn't like this idea maybe of going to school where they were on vacation. But I think the concept itself, and I would love to sort of see this come back, was incredibly uh, forward thinking and I think still could work if executed somewhat differently and positioned differently.
1: No, I think you're right. I think it is one of the things. It was maybe, maybe your sessions were too long, and you were taking away too much of the actual quote unquote vacation time or family time. If you had other people there with you, um, you know, I can remember the horticulture sessions like that just looked amazing to me. It was something I always wanted to do. I never did, um, but I think you're right. I think it's something that maybe in a different way, maybe shorter, you know, shorter classes over less of a time frame, so you're not eating into an entire vacation. You know, potentially narrowing down the number of different classes they offer might might make it something that you could do today. But it was it it was the thinking outside the box. It was that all right. You know, there are people who want education who who are going on these backstage tours because they want this information. Let's give them a, a week long experience like that. And it was you know, those kind of ideas that they just didn't stop running with with Eisner.
0: And I think had it been marketed differently or I think even – I think today, you know, maybe the idea was ahead of its time. And again, it's a separate discussion for a separate show. I I think if you introduce something like that today in 2015, 2016 Mm -hmm. when the the, the culture and how we consume content and generate our own content uh, has changed, something like that might work. This idea of almost like a retreat while you're on vacation or a separate type of vacation that is a retreat – uh, but in addition to that, too, you know, he's saying, all right, so we're going to change the way people's idea of vacationing in and of itself is going to be. Yes, there is this vacation kingdom of the world. We haven't even talked about uh, attractions as yet. You can come yeah. here as a destination. So if it's a sports themed type of experience that you and your family are having, you've got. Uh, the wide world of sports. If you want to maybe do some education or a company retreat, we've got the Disney Institute. If you want to own a piece of it, we've got things like the Disney Vacation Club. Or look, man, are you ready to go all in and sell your house like many people in 2015 are doing (laughs) and live here? We're going to create the city of celebration, Again, not to call it sort of you know a take on the idea of Epcot, but to a certain degree, we are right. going to build this futuristic, very innovative, technology-driven entertainment environment, educational community, um, you know, under the, the Disney umbrella that was talked about in the early '90s, and I guess launched probably in '96. I want to say somewhere around there.
1: Yeah, I was I was gonna say I was I was thinking seven, but somewhere in there, yeah. It's it is it's, it was that realization of and you can't tell me that the, the, some of those first residents weren't people who grew up with Epcot and the idea of Epcot and were like this is it it looks different but it's this is it and I'm jumping on right now uh, it was it was effectively a way for you to live your Disney dream
0: yeah and and look you know they they were very deliberate in choices they made and I think celebration <laughs> also should be a, a show in and of itself because I remember. Going there with my parents because my dad was like, "Yeah, man, buying at Disney. Come on, like we're here twice a year anyway. Someday my son's going to write a book about this place." But um, he never said that. But we went and looked, and at the beginning, you actually weren't able to purchase a property unless you lived there nine right. months out of the year. They didn't want it to be a vacation home, kind of vacation rental uh, places being left. So I mean, the idea about how it was was to be done was right on par, and again, sort of keeping in, in terms of what Walt wanted to do, which was have a community that was technology-driven. Uh, I mean, I think it was, it was awarded, like, Community of the Year or something uh, just a few years afterwards, um, you know, not in the same type of thing. But, it, but to a certain degree, Ryan, it, it did become, yeah. and it still is, an attraction. You know, visitors come, and they go to, to celebration to see what it's like or to go to the downtown.
1: Yeah, they do. They just want to see that you know they've heard the rumors or they've heard rumblings, they've read stories, and they, they wanna just see it. And so it is that way of going and looking and, and imagining what it would have been like or what it could be like uh, with, with all of these technologies and this very organized, very planned out to every detail town. And its um, it is it, it it is something that still brings people in. You know, they'll stay on property, but they'll drive across I four just so they can get a look at celebration.
0: And something else that they did, too, is I think indicative of, you know, Disney might not necessarily always be the first player in a game. But I think what they do is they learn and they listen and they watch and they become very strategic in terms of their execution. So for years, they have partnerships with cruise lines like the Big Red Mm -hmm. Boat, right, which worked well, was profitable. I think Disney watched. They learned. They said, you know what? This is cool. But we can do it better if we do it ourselves, and they launch the Disney Cruise Line. Again, right dead center in the Disney decade. It launches in 1995. They launched the Magic, the Wonder. It explodes exponentially, and they now have four ships, and who knows what the future's going to hold. But again, you've taken this single-site vacation experience and expanded it, not just to potential ownership and other types of experiences, but now you've got this land-sea option as well
1: right and i think it, i think you're right i think it's one of those things where it's let's listen let's look let's find our way of doing that let's find our niche in that market and they and they went for it and they and you're right they haven't looked back it's you know it's the same kind of thing they've done later and later years with the adventures by disney now it's like okay there's all these tour groups going all over the world how do we make that ours how do we tangibly do that and the cruise lines were that great example of doing that. Like, okay, we're gonna take these, you know, the old style boats that Walt and Lillian would have sailed on, make make our boats look like that, harken back to that era, but keep it top of the line.
0: And that's it. You you hit right on it. How do we sort of how do we sort of keep them in the bubble? How do we control yeah. the guest experience? I don't mean control in a bad way, but they wanna make sure that they are able to sort of put their Disney touch on everything that you see and do. So whether it's going out to Alani or going on the cruise line or going to, uh, you know, Adventures by Disney, they want to make sure that their standards are met. They make sure that when you go on a Disney cruise, you've got spaces for kids, you've got spaces for adults, but you still come together as a family. It's not, you know, Mickey Mouse right. all over the place, but it is a, like you said, that sort of Walt and Lillian refined Cruise like experience um, that I think is is definitely a, a direct extension of what you get um, at the park, so I mean even like i said we haven 't even touched on Walt Disney World itself but sort of extension of you know that that section of property uh, the amount of growth and the amount of of radical change in direction directly attributed to the disney decade is, is obviously stuff that we 're still feeling today
1: it definitely i think it I think that kind of got the you know, the snowball started at the top of the mountain and now it's just this gigantic, you know, avalanche forming kind of snowball coming down at us. But it's, it, it had it changed the direction in, into how we think and look at all things Disney. And I, and I don't know where, where and when that, that will take another shift like that.
0: So I think let's sort of go and talk about um, the, the parks themselves because, you know, we could sit back and sort of, go through, maybe, we, maybe this is the way we should do it. You know, we can sort of quickly run through park by park the things mm-hmm. that, that were accomplished and then look at some of the other things that were planned for the Disney decade maybe weren't fully developed, but man, I'm, if you think hard enough, you might see some remnants of those that are, are here now or maybe continuing to come in the future. So if we go sort of park by park, you know, Magic Kingdom, obviously the, the big addition during this time is Splash Mountain. Uh, we know the story of, of how it came to be and, again, having such a, a great property in Song of the South. But you also get things like Winnie the Pooh, Buzz Lightyear, The New Tomorrowland, and Legends of the Lion King. I mean, that was, in a relatively short period of time, Some, um, especially with things like New Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily massive growth, but a, a good deal of change and new experiences in the park
1: definitely you're adding you're adding old familiar names with things like Winnie the Pooh and Splash Mountain you got Buzz Lightyear which after Toy Story was now was a household name and then they're creating their own stories in New Tomorrowland with the alien encounter and the timekeeper, which maybe, you know, they're not still there today, but their their legacy kind of lives on and their myth lives on. Uh, so it was, it was it was finding all these pieces from old, what's old is new again, what's new is new again kind of thing, and putting them into the Magic Kingdom, all of these stories in one place.
0: Yeah, we've done, you and I have done sort of a way back machine on Alien Encounter and, mm-hmm. and how that came to be and how – the idea of licensing a, a third-party property didn't work. So he said, fine, we're going to create our own alien and create our own experience and, <laughs> and put our own touches on it and make it a little bit scarier. <laughs> I didn't think it was uh, scary enough. But other things that were announced for Magic Kingdom that were planned that maybe didn't come to pass in addition to Splash and New Tomorrowland and Alien Encounter. So in Tomorrowland, there was going to be Plectu's fantastic intergalactic review, which sort of a, uh, a musical... Variety-type show with audio-animatronic alien musicians. Um, makes me think a little bit of uh, Sunny Eclipse over in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in Cosmic Rays. Uh, they had planned, a, a by 1994, a Little Mermaid attraction, mm-hmm. a magical musical ride into the undersea world of Ariel and Sebastian the Crab, which sounds a lot like the Little Mermaid attraction, <laughs> which is currently <laughs> in Fantasyland.
1: You also had things like they were going to do a One Man's Dream, which we all know as a studio's piece. But in 1992, it was going to look at you know 65 years of films from like Peter Pan and Snow White, Lady and the Tramp, and and kind of look back at their creation. So it was more looking at the animation as a whole of Walt's life. But you get this spark of One Man's Dream coming in as well.
0: And you know, I think Epcot was an interesting, and I think we've looked at it before, and maybe you should. You know, at one point, talk about Epcot in the '90s as well, and we know the 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 story of of uh, Michael going to visit Epcot after he first. Takes over and is like, "Hey man, where's where's Mickey Mouse?" We're like, "Oh no, Michael, this is Epcot. There's no Mickey Mouse here." He's like, "Dude, Mickey Mouse is our bread and butter. You get the Fab Five in here like tomorrow, and like in two days, they were in their Aaron Gray, Buck Rogers, Fantastical jumpsuits uh, <laughs> walking around by uh, by Future World West." But you know, you got things like interventions and Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, test track, journey into. Your imagine now. I'm not calling that a win necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> um, it got done. That's what we'll say about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, it was built, but they really wanted to make some changes to this sort of future world for the '90s, getting ready to sort of bring future world into the 21st century. And I think the idea of continuing to partner with corporations, um, you know, as part of the anniversary of Epcot Center. Changes coming to things like Spaceship Earth and Horizons and the land and World of Motion and Universe of Energy, uh, Journey into Imagination, we might not all have loved what what came, but in in his mind, he was trying to make some changes and keep that park uh, as fresh and updated as possible.
1: Right. It's, it's the basic Tomorrowland problem. By the time you built it, it's already been surpassed by something that's actually out there in the real world. So how do you keep on that edge and finding these companies and having them help dictate what your story is was, was that way of kind of doing that. Um, and there were supposed to be like all these massive enhancements. And you see a lot of it, especially when you look at Future World West with what came out of you know the Imagination Pavilion and the Land Pavilion.
0: You know, I think what – part of what he was trying to do was make it more attractive, especially, you know, to younger people. We, we talked about, uh, even in Tomorrowland, right? So when you start bringing in celebrities into attractions like a Robin Williams or Rhea Perlman or boys to men right. or whatever it is, you're trying to make it more relevant. And, and I think he did that, especially at that time with Captain EO, which we're obviously saying goodbye to at the time of, this recording but he wanted it to be high tech and big name you know michael jackson george lucas i mean the the names that were going to be associated with it it was no longer just hey look what disney's building it's look what disney's building and look who are the people outside the company who are part of it and making it happen
1: I think you're right. I think it's one of those things that's, I may not love Disney. I may be a teenage boy at that time who didn't want anything to do with Disney, but wait, you have Robin Williams in there and I think his stand up routines are, are off the charts. Let me let me go see what he's doing. It was that way of finding that, that thing that you could identify with and making it something something where everyone in the family was was seeing some of their heroes or some of the things that they related to outside inside their vacations.
0: And I think he was trying to do two other things in Epcot Center, or Epcot 95, or whatever it was called at the time. 5, he, he was yeah. trying to do two things. Uh, confuse people with the name, obviously, <laughs> but one, he wanted to add more thrill rides. So you were going to have the, finally, you were going to have this space-themed pavilion called Journey into Space. It was going to be what they called the ultimate thrill ride through space travel. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. We eventually get Mission Space. You were going to have a Matterhorn bobsled ride in this in World Showcase now. So now all of a sudden, World Showcase is not just for the adults. It's not just sort of edutainment. It's not just meeting people and tasting the foods from around the world. But now you get this. Matterhorn Disneyland like mountain bobsled attraction in there. And you also get a new pavilion, which was going to be Soviet Union. And again, at the time, you know, having Soviet Union come in, uh, I think was intriguing to a lot of people, uh, you know, especially because of the timing.
1: It, the timing would have definitely, was definitely intriguing people. It was the most asked for pavilion as to why it wasn't there during, during the 80s, during the first basically decade of Epcot Center. Uh, pe- people wanted to know why it wasn't there, when it was coming, and so they they had the answer. Like, oh, it's going to be this massive showplace kind of a deal, and it's going to be here by the end of nineteen ninety
0: nine. Yeah, and you know, obviously, those kind of that expansion didn't happen, and not much expansion really has happened <laughs> uh, in World Showcase. But I think he was trying to um, he was trying to keep Epcot as as new and as fresh. And again, I think as relevant as possible, but I think really one of the places that he really wanted to um, put a lot of time and effort and money into was over at the studios. Again, especially coming from the background that he come through. He said, like, the studios is getting, I, I don't know, 16, 17 new shows and attractions. It is yeah. going to double in size, like, right off the bat. You're going to get Sunset Boulevard. You're going to get this, this replica of Walt studio, and you're also going to get uh, attractions and experiences that, again, are relevant and relatable to things that are popular right now.
1: Right. You were going to get a ton of stuff dedicated. You're, you're going to have Roger Rabbits Hollywood with the, the trolley car, the Toontown trolley. You were going to have Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers where guests were interacting with the scenes around them and these, and these you know, Old classic gangster shootouts. You had uh, they were going to have Disney Channel auditions where guests were, where guests were actually able to come in and quote unquote audition for Disney Channel shows. Um, there was a lot of big pieces that were coming to the studios at the launch. You know, this was after the park had only been open for less than a year.
0: Right, but he realized and and he you know when the park opened, it was not it was sort of meant to be a half day park, and he very wanted to quickly. Change the perception and obviously change the amount of time and money that guests are spending in the park. So, in the decade, you get things like Rock and Roller Coaster and Tower of Terror and Sounds Dangerous and Fantasmic and Sunset Boulevard, and you do get the Muppet Vision 3D attraction and A Voyage of the Little Mermaid experience and a little thing called Star Tours. I think that's going to take off. Um I, you had stuff actually. for kids. Um you had Doug Live and gosh I loved Bear in the Big Blue House, like there's nobody's yeah. business. Don't get me started singing that song. <laughs> um The Honey I Shrunk the Kids, sort of that that play area, which still exists, you know, to this day. You didn't get things like you said. You didn't get the entire Roger Rabbit Hollywood land and the buggy ride and the Benny the Cab ride and, and whatnot. You didn't get the Muppet movie ride. We got the great movie ride. You didn't get the Muppet movie ride where they took you through the history uh, of movies, which I would still love to see. Um, <laughs> uh, and you did not get, unfortunately, that, um, that, that replica of the Disney Studios, that Mickey's movie land where you can... He started this idea of, and, I, and I, when I say he, uh, understand when I say, he, I, I mean Eisner and his team. I mean the company at that time. I don't mean right. he. But this idea of making experiences more interactive. He wanted people to have hands on experiences with movie making. He wanted to produce a movie, to star in a movie. Like you said, the Disney Channel auditions. You know, some of the other stage shows that they had where you got to go on stage. I mean, I even think yeah. about now, we still have, you know, the Indiana Jones Epic Sun Spectacular where you become part of the show. You know, there's Streetmosphere characters. There were plans for um, the, the, the magic underground... Um, uh, the, the, the restaurant, the, right? The so, David
1: Copperfields, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So the idea of themed dining experiences, you know, even the, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. The, um, oh my gosh, we're in the big blue houses. The, um, the, the 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 soundstage restaurant and mm-hmm. the catwalk bar make yep. me really feel like you were there, um, you know, as part of this living, breathing, working movie studio.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. It- one, it was bringing the studio portion to life for guests in tangible ways, and and two, it was again going back to these things that you recognize. You recognize Roger Rabbit. You recognize, you know, Mickey Mouse in that studio that would have been his early his early home. You recognize David Copperfield. All these things that you would that you knew and you loved that they were just going to have it all there waiting for you, and it was going to be things that you could tangibly do and take and and interact with. Um, you know, and, and you see some of these pieces coming, You know, like I said decades later you see you see some of these these buildings these signages coming in other parks around the world but this was going to be right here in Florida and you were going to have these incredible places to 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 make your own movies and make your own family films as it were and it and it was a great time to be thinking about what that third gate was going to turn into
0: right i mean you know again he is changing what the theme park experience what we are used to have in sort of Disneyland or Magic Kingdom. You know, Epcot was a radical change. The studios is more interactive. And yes, we do get the fourth gate with Animal Kingdom. Yes, it was not a zoo, it was a, a very different type of experience. It was Disney sort of first dipping the toe into the water. And I think to a certain degree, the ultimate realization of a dream that Walt Disney had of what he wanted the Jungle Cruise to be. And look, lest we forget or gloss over the magnitude of what it takes to create an entirely new theme park. People ask all the time about the fifth gate, and I'm like, listen, do you have a, a, a grasp of the amount of money and the, right. the engineering to build the infrastructure? It, it is—it's literally, man, like building a city yes. out of, of you know of, of miles of dirt. So the creation of Animal Kingdom is no small feat.
1: No, I mean especially when you consider you can fit, you know, whole parks into, you know, just single attractions at Animal Kingdom. I mean, this is a this is a massive amount of land. It's a massive undertaking. You know, and your citizens aren't just your guests, they're all these animals that are going to be there. They all have their individual wants and needs. They all have their things that they're that, that are going to inhibit or create experiences for you. And you, it, it's it it is. It, it's a massive undertaking to finally realize what Walt wanted to do and have real animals on the Jungle Cruise, and now and now it's it's become full fledged and it's a place that is dedicated to the life of, of all animals and that, that symbiotic relationship. But it, it is it, it's a it's an, it's a city unto itself.
0: And so, and now comes sort of the the chicken and the egg question, right? You've got all these incredible experiences right. to bring people there. They need a place to stay or we're building all these places to stay. We better build something else for them to do because they're going to get tired of of Magic Kingdom and and Epcot pretty quickly. And I think, you know, like I said, man, in addition to the the stuff that came to the parks is almost secondary or tertiary to the accomplishments that the Disney decade brought in other areas of the company – and the resorts, I think, was one of the big things that he did, and I think he changed a lot in terms of what the resort experiences were going to be like. This whole Disney Boardwalk expansion, right, sort of changed this idea of just going to a hotel and then going out to your resort. He really wanted it to be an amusement area, sort of hearkening back to the, you know, the, the Coney Island, the Atlantic City. I mean, it's it's a thirty acre. Sort of stretch of land that has, you know, not just the the three hotels, but it was meant to be even more so. And I think we may have talked about this uh, a long time ago. Sort of a history of the boardwalk. It right. really was meant to be more of a, a um, an entertainment destination, right? There was going to be mm-hmm. a uh, an indoor aquatic dinner show about the Little Mermaid. Again, capitalized on what's working. It was called Under the yep. Sea. A 900 seat theater. There was going to be an outdoor theater dinner show, think sort of like um, uh, Spirit of Aloha, called the Family mm-hmm. Reunion Show, where you know your, your family gets together and it, again it's an interactive experience. Um, there was a Disney Magic Dinner Show with the Disney characters. I mean, this was going to be part sort of the, the hub of seven new hotels with entertainment being sort of the the reason why you would go and stay there almost.
1: Yeah, and if you look at some of the early models, it almost looks more like Paradise Pier than, and, and the roller coasters and all the entertainment pieces that come with that than it does the boardwalk we ended up with. Uh, you, know, you look at the different decades. You look at where it actually ended up landing in terms of story and theme. But it was, it was going to be this other kind of hub like this Pleasure Island just down the road. And that's really one of the pieces that you'd think about, too, with this Disney decade. That, you know, once upon a time, you drove into Disney World. It was one road, and you split off for Epcot over here or to your resort over there, but it was a couple of roads. The infrastructure that had to go in to build all these things and to make all this a reality was is just staggering.
0: Yeah, and actually, if you go back to show 313, um, we do a, an entire sort of history on – the boardwalk, and the boardwalk that might have been, you know, some of the, like, the Noah's Ark show and some of the other things. <laughs> Believe it or not, sir, sir Andrew Lloyd Webber was going to have a show called Noah's Ark there, but that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to make, he was bringing his entertainment background, I think, into terms, in, into the resort experience, you know, beyond just having a, a place to stay. And And the ones that we got, in addition to, the boardwalk. We were also supposed to get the the oh so you know missed the Mediterranean Resort, which is going to be um, right near the uh, uh, Magic Kingdom, Fort Wilderness Lodge, um, which we sort of have now, Fort Wilderness Junction, which is going to be sort of more of a, a Wild West town, um, and a and I you know no good idea ever dies. There was going to be a, something called the Kingdom Suites, which is going to have uh, you know less than a hundred luxury suites. Attached to or near the contemporary, sort of right on the water, you know, we're talking about the expansion with the Polynesian overwater bungalows and the right. Wilderness Lodge bungalows. I don't necessarily think that the Kingdom Suites idea um, is, is sitting dusty on an Imagineering shelf somewhere.
1: No, I would imagine it's somewhere they're trying to they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we block that view of the of the bus depot? But otherwise it's you know, and that's kinda of plot of land right out there in front of the contemporary that they were thinking of, but I think it's I still think it's it's yeah, sitting on someone's desk right now going, okay, what do we need to do to make this a reality?
0: Listen, the uh, the garden wing at Disney's Contemporary Resort, <laughs> I am not sure. It's just,
1: begging, <laughs> it's just begging for something.
0: You know, they built Bay Lake Tower on one side, and yeah. uh, the the quaint little garden wing, yes, is on the other, but um, I, I'm not so sure that is going to be there forever. And look, you know, again, smart businessmen that they are too, they say, look, we also don't want people coming here just for family vacations. We yeah. need to build some convention space. You know, the yeah. Orange County Convention Center is massive, but again, we want to keep people here in the bubble. So they add, you know, nearly 100,000 feet of convention space at the Floridian and the Contemporary and, and Coronado. And now Walt Disney World is a massive, I mean, it is a, you know, top 10 uh, convention destination in the country.
1: Yeah, I can say I've been down there a couple times for conventions between my wife and I, and it is because people are going. Oh, we get all of the. You know, we can do this. People will bring their families. They'll pay for the tickets and go in at night, and we get these people here. And it's not like it's just uh, you know your standard ballroom with nothing else there. Disney has their you know their attention to detail tied in again to that to that conference experience. It's how do we take it and make it you know, put the Disney name on this piece of our world and they found another way to do it.
0: So, you know, if you say Disney decade to some people, Ryan, there are some people who will be like, yeah, you know, look, I'm a positive person. I look at the positive side of things because this place just makes me happy. And, and when I look back, you know, with sort of hindsight being 2020 and I look at the massive growth in that time period, I look at the Disney decade as a success. Did everything get built? No. Was it executed on perfectly? Was it marketed 100% properly? Probably not. Um, are there reasons why some things failed? Absolutely, mm-hmm. right? Let's do, and we, I think we need to, to address some of those reasons why. The reason why you know, the, the, uh, some of these things happened, I think when, when Frank Wells died, right? Frank Wells mm-hmm. um, you know, died in a, in a tragic helicopter crash Michael Eisner lost his right-hand man. He lost the balance. He lost yeah. uh, a bit of his guide. Uh, I think when Katzenberg left and the way he left and the whole you know, fiasco with, with uh, Ovitz and all that, that was part of the problem. There were other uh, initiatives uh, that did not happen and, and sort of, uh, when I say that they failed in, in, in very public ways, when you look at things like Disney's America, which mm-hmm. was planned and talked about and sort of the, 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 the publicity positive and negative that, that came around it. Uh, Disney tried valiantly to be a, uh, an innovator and a pioneer in the online space with go.com. That did not do well. Um, Euro Disney, when it opened in 92, I mean, it just, right. it was riddled with problems. Uh, financial, cast members, otherwise. And I think as these things started to snowball onto Eisner, I think that that grand dreamer, that that aggressive forward thinking, let's take some risks, let's dream big, I think he scaled back. Um, I think mm-hmm. he lost maybe a bit of his confidence because of those things, or maybe he lost some of his confidence in Frank Wells, and I think the way he started to operate the company and execute on some of the visions changed, and I think that's why things started to fall apart at the end.
1: I, I think you're right. I think there are some major budgetary pieces some big pieces uh of of the public face that that maybe didn't go the way he wanted and so you start going okay well where can we where can we rein this in and what 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 can we get away with and still say we've we've met our goal on this or you know what this piece is maybe this isn't the right time for it and i think you're right i think he lost some of his confidence not only you know in what he wanted to do but in what the confidence some of his team had on had in him and and when that starts happening you start getting friction and and you know the the gangbuster plan you had coming out of the gate maybe starts to take a turn.
0: You know, so like I said, when you say Disney to get decade to people, some people like me will say, yeah, this was mm-hmm. uh, to me. It was a time that saved this company. I right. think it saved the company in terms of them needing to expand on their entertainment properties to ex to to definitely expand where they needed to in Walt Disney World because. Uh, we we know that it was starting to plateau during that time. Other people will say no, the, the decade was a failure. Why? Because they didn't execute on all those things. Oh, look, you, you talk about Walt Disney World, Lou. They they closed Journey to Imagination and they made Enchanted Tiki Room become under new management. Look, that was part <laughs> of the strategy. Again, they tried to make it more relevant. Put in modern right. music. Put in new songs. Put in uh, you know well known entertainers. Um, you know, other things, you know, other attractions closed. I don't think that's necessarily the fault of the Disney decade. I think it's the fault of things needing to change, the parks needing to improve. Um, you know, 20,000 leagues under the sea had nothing to do, you know, right. with, uh, with the Disney decade. Look, are, are are all the media properties killing it and getting the same type of growth that maybe the parks and... The studios are no, but you know overall, I, I think is a Disney decade a win. I, I say absolutely. Oh, and I, I agree. But def- yeah. very quickly, I, let's. I, I didn't even mention, you know, during the time he's there, right? So the um, they they expand. We we sort of forgot to mention too. You know, they expand overseas. So the number of actual parks that are built sort of during this time. Right you know, continues to grow too. And I think that you can't, you know, discount that. Yes, does does Paris do as well as they hoped? No, but that's not the only thing that was happening.
1: No, it's absolutely not, and I think it is. I th- you know, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, this was a time where when he came, when either came in, they were they were on the verge of collapse. They were on the verge of being, you know, acquired by someone and and broken up into different pieces. Whereas, you know, he he's turned the company into 180. Now they're growing. Now they're acquiring other pieces to their to their name and to their brand. And it's you look at any other decade of solid growth in the in the the Disney. You know, company's history, you don't see as an explosive a boom. you know, maybe maybe now we're heading into that, that another dizzy decade. But you know, look at any other decade, it's not there. That same magnitude of of effort and magnitude of drive isn't isn't there. Um, and you're right, maybe we didn't get everything. But we, we got a lot out of it and there's a lot of things now that we still hold as key pieces of the Disney experience that we wouldn't have had otherwise.
0: Right. And we didn't get everything maybe at that time, but right. we've gotten iterations of them later on. And look, when you dream that big, when you're throwing out a hundred different things that you're planning on doing, and you quote unquote only execute on eighty-five percent of them, you know, if I'm batting eight fifty, I'm pretty happy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, I mean, I think if you look at it as a whole, you know, again, you talk about major things like DVC, Disney Cruise Line, uh, you know, the expansion, overall expansion at the parks, the attractions, the resorts, the studios, you know, the acquisitions of ABC and ESPN. I mean, it was a massive, massive time. And I think, like we said, I think we... To this day, continue to feel the positive repercussions. I think that enabled somebody like an Iger to go in right. and continue to do what he was doing.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it gave him the leverage to to keep taking steps forward instead of having to worry about well, how are we just going to keep the you know the doors open effectively? And and Iger was able to go out and and make those connections where. You know Eisner at the end of his tenure didn't have as positive a relationship with maybe a, with Pixar or Lucasfilm. And, and now these are names that are inside the house and, the, and we keep building and going forward with them. And I think – and you do. You look at the worldwide impact, not just in the parks but in the cruise lines, in the vacation club, in the film industry, in the television market, in the sports arena. It's, it, you know, it just continued to snowball and it's just continuing to build and build and build upon itself.
0: Yeah, and look, Michael, if you're listening, I I would love to have you on the show to I look, I I want to celebrate the accomplishments of of Michael Eisner, right? Because I think so many people remember again how he left and things that happened immediately thereafter and the shareholders meetings and just how uh, yeah. you know, how tough it was with with Ovid and everything else like that. Um and I think Uh, Not enough people celebrate the accomplishments and appreciate the things that we enjoy today, which are a direct result of what he did and his vision and the Disney decade, which was uh, which was his initiative.
1: Absolutely, and, and, when, and when you get that interview, because I believe it's a matter of when, not <laughs> if, can I just sit on the sideline and smile, like, quietly in the background? Can I just be there for that?
0: <laughs> Absolutely, brother. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. So, uh, I would love to hear from you, the listener. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on the Disney decade, on Eisner. When you hear Disney decade, do you look at it as a positive way? Do you look at it as, as um, you know, a failure to execute on all the vision? Um, you know, I want to hear your thoughts. You can you can tweet me at Lou Mangiello. You can go to Facebook.com slash Radio. Better yet, I would love for you to call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. I'd like you to weigh in on your thoughts about Eisner, on your thoughts on the Disney decade. Whether you agree or disagree with us, that's fine. Um, I just would enjoy... Hear in your opinion, and hear in the conversation, and then, and only then, when you're done, go follow Main Street Gazette on Twitter, and go to MainStreetGazette.com, and uh, just take in some of the uh, some of the amazing stuff that Ryan Wilson continues to put out on the blog.
1: Thank you, thank you. Anytime anyone has anything to say, I am happy to listen.
0: <laughs> awesome, brother. We will uh, we will do this again. There's lots more that we have to cover, and uh, maybe. Just maybe when you come down soon, we'll do it uh, in the parks in real life.
1: That'd be fun.
0: It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history, Or see how well you pay attention to the details, not just in what you see, but sometimes in what you hear as well. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via email for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I was talking about how there's a whole new generation of interactive experiences coming to Walt Disney World. I think kicked off in part through attractions like Toy Story Midway Mania. And that actually led to the subject of last week's question because in Toy Story Midway Mania you kind of get a practice round before the game begins and your question was simply to tell me, what do you practice shooting before they start keeping score? And if you think back and remember, in the first scene of the game, it's the pie throw. Then you could start practicing throwing pies at targets being held by Jesse and Buzz Lightyear. And then once the game begins and they start keeping score, that's where you start using the shooters to toss eggs at barnyard targets hosted by Ham and Buttercup the little toy unicorn from Toy Story 3. So, thank you to everybody who entered, got this one correct. Uh, there are some people who shared some photos of some of their high scores. Very impressive, by the way. On Toy Story Midway Mania, I took all the correct entries and randomly selected one. Remember last week, you were playing for a special prize package because it included not just a WW Radio Magic Band cover, but a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, a Tomorrowland audio tour of Walt Disney World and one of the Olaf Snogies Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom card which you can only get during this year's Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party so I put all the correct entries in a sort of virtual hat randomly selected one and last week's winner is Lindsay McAfee so Lindsay congratulations I'll get your package out to you right away if you played last week and didn't win that's okay because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge So one of my favorite nighttime shows, or spectaculars as it may be, is Fantasmic, not just in Walt Disney World, but in Disneyland, which may be even a little bit better. But I digress, because your question this week is to tell me, in the Fantasmic seating area, that are all named after different Disney characters. Tell me which character from The Little Mermaid has a seating section named after them in Fantasmic here in Walt Disney World. Pretty simple, right? So you have until Sunday, November 29th to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Again, you're playing for the Magic Band cover, the 102 Ways book, and the audio walking tour of Tomorrowland. So good luck and have fun. ¶¶ That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and spend and share some of your time with me. I really do appreciate it. I know how valuable your time is to you. Uh, don't forget to come to the show notes at www.radio.com. You can weigh in and talk about your thoughts on the Disney decade. I also will link there to a video, a promotional video that Disney put out about the Disney decade right there at the show notes. Go to wdwradio.com/slash slash 426 to find that. Uh, quick thanks also to... Everybody who is a member of the WDW Radio Nation, lots of new members this month, really do appreciate the love and the friendship and the support. And if you want to help the show and get exclusive rewards like monthly scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group and video calls, logo gear, backpack shirts, monthly care packages from the parks and more, you can visit wdwradiocom slash support. I-, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate uh, all the support that so many of you have given me. And anybody who signs up during the month of November at the silver level above will get a special care pack, a physical care package from me sent to you as just my way of saying thank you. So again, visit www.radio.com support. And by the way, speaking of giving thanks uh, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, which I think is something that we all need to express and feel always, not just one day a year. Uh, I am honestly uh, so very thankful for for not things but for you uh, and again the support and the love and the, the friendship that you've extended to me and in a very, very, very small way of saying thank you. Uh, if you use code THANKS40 s four zero at the WDW Radio shop during checkout, you can save 40% off the audio tour CDs, downloads, the 102 ways digital version. That code is good till December 1st. Again, it's www.radio.com. Click on the shop link and use code THANKS40 at checkout. While you're on the site, be sure and check out our blog. And again, huge thanks to our team of incredible blog writers talking about Disney and Walt Disney World from so many different angles and, and perspectives. Subscribe to our free emails and newsletter. And don't forget, to to also join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDW Radio Live. I've been broadcasting live every Wednesday for about seven, eight years or so. A recent change about a week or so ago, I have been broadcasting on Ustream and Meerkat on Periscope, and I've now moved the broadcast over exclusively to Facebook. So if you follow me at Facebook.com slash Lumangello, turn on notifications. Again, you can be part of the conversation and broadcast every Wednesday, as well as when I broadcast from the parks I've recently broadcast from the Osborne Lights uh, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Parade some other events as well plus I might be out and about and on the road so you never know when a broadcast will show up again it's facebook.com slash Lou be sure and follow me there and then turn on notifications you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest I am at Lou would love to hear from you or see you on any of those or all those platforms. Uh, if you have a question you want answered on the show, email me, lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. And as you know, hopefully that while I love connecting with you online and hearing from you and having conversations there, I believe that nothing, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That's why I do monthly meetups every month in Walt Disney World as, other, as well as other meetups around the country. The next meet of the month, is a special one. It's going to be on Saturday, December 5th. That's going to be our virtual holiday party, online auction, and then meet of the month for the Osborne Lights. So the virtual party is, again, something you can tune into on Facebook. I'll be broadcasting throughout the day, sort of sharing a little bit of the magic of Walt Disney World around the holiday season from the parks and the resorts. We're also going to have a meet of the month later on that night uh, for the Osborne Family Spectacle of Dancing Lights. And throughout the day, we're also going to have an online auction of Disney and maybe some Star Wars-ish items in there, too, uh, which will benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America through our Dream Team project. If you visit the events page at www.radio.com, you can find out more information there. Speaking of the holidays, by the way, if you'd like to take part in our annual ornament exchange, you can participate by signing up before November 29th. You can see, uh, find out more and find out how to sign up by visiting the blog at www.radio.com. And again, events in the future. We've got our Star Wars cruise in February, our New Orleans meet, eat, and run uh, later on in February the 26th to the 28th. Chicago in the summer, our e-ticket adventure, running team events, and lots more. And I'll also be traveling the country, uh, doing some speaking uh, to conferences and schools, and we'll be doing some on-the-road events there. And if you'd like me to come and speak to your business or at your conference or to your school, you can visit loomangelo.com. And also if if there's a way that I can help you sort of do what you love every day, right? And, and turn your passion into profession with personal mentoring or group coaching. You can find out how to build your brand and business uh, by visiting loumangelo.com. Click on the Work With Lou tab, uh, and you can find out more. I have a new mastermind group forming now, going to launch probably about a month or so, limited to six people, only five spots left. Uh, again, that's loumangelo.com. Thanks as always to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider, whether you go into world, land, or anywhere on the planet. They can help you with incredible service at no cost to you. And Tim Foster over at Celebrations Press will send you copies of Celebrations Magazine uh, just in time for the holiday. And they have a special new Christmas holiday book as well. Uh, As always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Better yet, share links and and comment over on Facebook and go to iTunes, rate and review the show there. It's incredibly helpful. Uh, thanks to you, we, we have more than a thousand five-star reviews, and it is uh, it is very, very, very helpful and very much appreciated. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Not Trixie, Bklu7, and H Didn't Case Solo Case. I don't know what it says, <laughs> but thanks to everybody who is a recent reviewer. Again, you can visit www.radio.com/slash/itunes to find out how to do it. And uh, thank you again so very much. You know, like I said before, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I I want to make sure you understand just how thankful I am for you. Whether we have met or we haven't met yet, the fact that you're taking the time to tune in and listen and allow me to do what I love and share my love of Disney with you means more to me than you know And I do. I want to try and help you and encourage you to do the same thing. So if there's something that you want to do, if there's something that you're dreaming about, don't let waiting become a habit, right? You need to start taking risks and because otherwise opportunity is going to pass you by. So you need to start living your dreams today and start taking small steps forward. Thank you again so very much. Have a wonderful, wonderful and incredibly happy Thanksgiving. So until next time, see ya.
3: Hey, Mr. Mongello, this is Eric McMahon, just north of Boston calling. Hey, I just wanted to say, I've been listening to your podcast for quite a long time, and I just had the podcast on with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Man, you by far have done the best job on that show. Wait wait a minute, scratch that, flip it, reverse it. It is the best show, in my opinion, that you have done. And it, it just, it brought back a lot of, um, childhood memories of going to the parks and especially going to the, uh, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. That was, that, that's just amazing, man. Hey, keep up the good work. I uh, enjoy your show. Uh, watch it every Saturday night, listen to your podcasts all the time at work. It really helps out getting through my day. So anyways, Lou, keep up the great job. And uh we'll talk to you later. Have a good night. Bye. Hi, Lou. Out of breath, Rob from California, Maryland. It is now 96 days until the 2016 Disney Glass Slipper Challenge for my wife and for me. Just calling to check in. First, training officially begun. First, longish run, four miles of the training session complete. I will uh, have a few more things on my list of things to do one of which being officially joined the WDW radio running team. I made my contribution to the Dream Team project. just got a few more uh, things to send me an email, things like that. So hopefully I'll be seeing you guys in February. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you there. Bye. Hey, good morning, Lou. Um, this is Larry from Sacramento, California. and Anyway, just got a chance to listen to the podcast, enjoyed everything I heard. Look forward to one day getting down there to – Walt Disney World for the Christmas, uh, parade. Anyways, I enjoyed the last podcast. Your son was, was hilarious. Um just the unlimited hot chocolate and cookie. Oh my god. He was, he had me cracking up. He really made my day. Hey, uh, keep it the good work, man. I appreciate everything you do. And you keep a smile on my face every time I hear the podcast. All right, thanks a lot. Have a good one.
2: Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, and I am so happy to say that you guys all have another 90 days, oh my word, to go on the Star Wars cruise. Can you imagine meeting Darth Vader in person or CP3O, oh my gosh, it's gonna be epic. Then, on top of that, I have 58 days until the Disney 5K. Great job, all the WDW running team, this past weekend in the wine and dine, family run, 5K run, marathon, half marathon. Ah, oh, it was awesome to see everybody and all the pictures. Thank you so much for sharing. And then we have 361 days until we go on our e-ticket adventure out of New York with our destination being Puerto Rico. Oh, And Lou is just down there. Thank you for sharing your cruise a little while ago to St. Martin. Oh, my gosh. The picture you posted was absolutely breathtaking. It looked so beautiful. I cannot wait to get there. But was it truly 115 degrees? Hmm. Because I'm going to have to pack winter clothes for New York and summer clothes, then that means, for the Caribbean. <laughs> I'm going to have a well Range of clothing for that trip. Hope you guys all have a very magical week. See you real soon. You gotta.